Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. How are y'all this morning? Everybody awake from staying up entirely too late to watch the game? I did not do that. I was wise and smart and went to sleep, mainly because my wife told me to, because that's how good she is. Um, So I got a question to start off this morning, and the question is this. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you would do just about anything to get it? Yeah. Safe to say we all have, especially like when we were younger, right? You know, you really wanted that new toy, and so your mom is at Walmart, and you are like really trying to get it, and so you're on like your top-tier best behavior, and she knows that something is weird because you're like not screaming and crying, and then you're like, yeah, because I wanted that toy that you didn't get me, so now I'm going to act a fool until you actually get it for me, right? So we've wanted things that uh, we would do anything to get. In high school, if you were a sports player at all, maybe some of you still are, and you were really fighting for that starting position, right? So you really wanted to start in basketball, softball, whatever your sport was. So in order to do that, you maybe get to practice early, Right? You do some extra reps on the bench. You get a few extra touches on the ball. You do some extra sprints at the end of practice to get noticed, to work better, to do something to hopefully maybe get noticed so that you'll get that starting position. Right? Or maybe, if you don't relate to sports, maybe you relate to jobs. Right? There's a, an opening in your, in your job, and you really want that position because it comes with a really nice pay raise. You could really use that extra money, especially with gas being expensive and milk being expensive and life being expensive and, you know, all that. And so you really want this promotion, and so you get to work early. You do a couple extra things. Maybe you're the one who makes the coffee that everybody's like, man, who is doing this, right? Kind of the the behind-the-scenes things. Just so in hopes that you might get that promotion. You do extra work. You stay late to do some extra things. Maybe run a couple extra errands. Maybe you get your boss a cake. I don't know if that's you or not. Maybe you're just really good at trying to impress your boss so that you'll get this thing. And maybe you actually do. right? Let's say that you did work hard and you got that starting position. Or maybe you did get to work early and you got that promotion. But then there's also some things in life where We really want them, but maybe the cost is just a little too great, right? When Lane and I were called here, we started looking at houses to buy and things like that, and there's some beautiful houses in Florida, and there's some really expensive houses in Florida, and uh, there were a lot of really, really nice houses, right? You know, three-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, three-bath, whatever your forte is, and they looked really nice, and it would be really cool, but they were just a little bit out of our price range, so we couldn't necessarily get them. Now here recently, I don't know uh, if any of you have seen Lane's car. I don't know if you would have a reason to see Lane's car, but it's on its last leg. That thing is like, it's been holding it together. There's some like zip ties and duct tape and all you mechanics are like, please don't do that. Um, it's really not good for your car. And we like, we really like to push the limit on oil changes for whatever reason, which is also not good for your car. And so it's really on its last leg. Um, So we've kind of been tossing around the idea of getting a new car for her, and there's some really nice cars out there that we could probably afford, like we could do, and we could get this car and not, you know, strain ourselves too much financially, but the one that she wants, you know, that 
3 Ford Bronco Sport Outer Banks Edition, whatever it is. I don't know. Something like that. We could probably pay for it. We could not afford it. Two vastly different things. So we have to de decide what the cost for us is. Is it worth it? And in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus confront a man with this idea of how much is the kingdom worth? What is it going to cost you? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Which is where we're going to be today. Mark, chapter 10. story that you've probably heard before. story of the rich young ruler, and you're like, ah, got this. Heard this preached a thousand times, plus this is the youth pastor speaking. I'm tuning out, right? Like, I've heard this, I've got this, and I get it, right? That's the temptation. No worries. But as I was reading and studying this and kind of working through it in my own life, the Lord kind of hit some different things for me in this passage that I hadn't really thought of before. Three actions that we're going to look at today that kind of show who Jesus is and what he really desires for us, his heart for us. So Mark, the Gospel of Mark is one of four Gospels. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection. That's what the Gospel is. It tells the good news. The ultimate good news is that Jesus came to die on the cross for us. So Mark writes this story telling the, the life and ministry of Jesus. And something that's really cool about Mark is he's very characteristic to use the word immediately. Right? That's one of the cool things about Mark. He's very action-packed. And immediately Jesus did this. And after that, he immediately ran over here and did that. And then he immediately went and said this to those people. It's a characteristic of Mark. Immediately, there's an urgency here. It's filled with action. And in the 16 chapters of Mark, that word or phrase is used 41 times. Now, why is that important? Well, it shows us just how important Mark's message is. He wants these people, his readers, his, those who are going to understand and read this letter this gospel, he wants them to understand how important this message is. How important it is that Jesus was doing this. And everything in Mark is there for a reason. We believe that everything in the Bible is there for a reason. But Mark intentionally does a lot of cool things in this gospel. It's one of action. And so we see that in this teaching, in this book, time and time again, he confronts this idea that, you know, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? He came to earth and he claimed to be the son of God, but if he really was the son of God, then why would he die on the cross? That's the most shameful way to die. Why would he choose to die that way? And so Mark spends a lot of his time highlighting these important aspects of Jesus' ministry, his godness, his deity. That's that biblical theological seminary word that I'm paying so much money to get, right? Deity, godness. And so Mark highlights a lot of these things. In this passage in particular, we see a really, really cool highlight of this. And this is a familiar story, like I said, but please just tune into me or tune into the word that God has for us this morning. So Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22 is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles open, would you please stand for the reading of this word this morning? Starting in verse 17, as Jesus was setting out on a journey... A man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come and follow me. Verse 22. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. May God bless the reading of that word this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, for allowing us to be in this place this morning, your house of worship with your people celebrating who you are and what you have done for us this morning. Lord, be with us in this time of study of scripture. Help us to hear what you would have us to hear, Lord. We love you, we praise you, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Something I tell our students on Wednesday night, um, one, if you don't come to Wednesday night, you should do that. Refresh is awesome. But also, if you ever wonder what the students do, I would encourage you to come up there. We'd love to have you for uh, Wednesday night. But some of the things that I tell them all the time, telling this all the time when specifically doing Bible study, and it's this phrase that context is key. Context is key. And what that means is that in order to fully understand the passage we're looking at, we have to understand what came before it and what follows it. Right? If you were in English, if you ever took English at all, you understand context clues, right? The things in a chapter point to things that are going to happen later that help you understand the larger story. And so in this passage, we have to understand what comes right before it. It's a big part of why Jesus' or Mark's put this emphasis in here. So look back with me at verse 13. It says, People were bringing little children to him, him being Jesus, in order that Jesus might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them, and when Jesus saw it, he was indignant or angry and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. So, a little bit of context right there. Why is that important? Because in the passage we see right here, the, the passage that we just read, the one about the children, we see that Jesus says that they have to receive the kingdom of God. But more than that, we must receive it like a child. Like a child. Why? Children were so insignificant back then. They had no importance. So for Jesus to say this, he's really throwing kind of like some shade at these adults saying, y'all don't get it. You really think you're smart. You really think you understand, but you really are missing it. These children here, they're closer to the kingdom than you because of their faith, their childlike faith. They'll believe just about anything you tell them. Case in point, one of the things I've learned in seminary is to make fun of yourself because people laugh. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at doing this. Um, maybe sometimes to a detriment. But when I was a kid, and I was being dumb or getting in trouble or whatever, yes, I, mi I did misbehave as a kid, as hard as that is to believe. Um, I was a really, at some points in my life, a really bad kid. Um, but when I was misbehaving and acting dumb or being silly or whatever, and my dad was trying to get me to do something, he would threaten me with this, this threat. And you've probably never heard this before, and that's okay. But when I was being dumb, he would come up to me with a screwdriver in hand and say, if you don't stop, I'm going to unscrew your belly button and your legs are going to fall off. <laughs> Have no idea where that came from. Couldn't tell you. I don't know why I believed it. But when I was a kid and I was do being dumb, doing dumb things, and my dad said, hey, listen, boy, if you don't stop, this screwdriver is going right there and your legs are going to fall off. It's crazy absolutely crazy unless you've told your kids that in which case kids hey that actually does happen um thankfully my dad never did that because i was absolutely terrified can you can you imagine that like if your belly button actually unscrewed and your legs fell off 
right? Like, that's a terrifying thought for a kid. Like, hey, I better shape up. You know, let me, let me clean my room. Let me not be dumb. Let me not hit my brother because he's annoying me, right? Let me shape up a little bit because I really like my legs where they are. I don't want them to run off without me, you know? And so I was terrified because I believed my dad. And it wasn't just so much that it was a terrifying thought. It was the fact of who it came from, right? Like, this was my dad speaking. My dad had authority. I looked up to my dad. So not only is it important to receive this childlike faith because we have childlike faith, but it's also important to know where it's coming from. So I believed it because, one, it's a crazy statement, and it's terrifying, but also it was coming from my dad. And it's that kind of simple belief that Jesus is calling for in our passage this morning. It's just that simple. Just believe. Just believe in me. And really, that's the story of Christianity, right? That's what God and Jesus has called us to. Hey, just have childlike faith. Just believe in me. Just go share the good news. Christianity is very simple if you look at it. But it's very hard to live out. And so immediately following this interaction with these children, Jesus encounters another man, the young ruler who is sinking the kingdom of heaven. But we, we, what we learn from this ruler is this, that obtaining the kingdom of heaven is not about what we do but about what Jesus did. And that's your application for this morning, the main idea, whatever, if you're a note taker, this is the one thing I'm asking you to, to take away. Obtaining the kingdom of heaven is not about what we do, but about what Jesus did. Warren Wearsby, a well-known Bible scholar, said this about the rich young ruler. He said, you know, of all the people who ever came to the feet of Jesus, this man, this rich young ruler, is the only one who went away worse than when he came. The children coming, the, the blind men coming, the beggars coming to Jesus. This rich man, who we would think had it all together, who had a great life, comes to Jesus and leaves worse than when he came. See, he had it all going on, right? He was young, he had wealth, he had power, he had social standing. Like, this is the guy that you want to be like. This is who you want to model your life after. And if anybody was going to get into the kingdom of heaven, surely it was this guy. I mean, look at all he's got. He's got the nice house. He's got the nice truck. He's got all the money. He's got social standing. He's everybody's friend. He's the life of the party. This is who people want to be like. And yet he comes to Jesus and leaves worse than when he came. See, he had all these things, and he actually even had a desire for spiritual things, right? So much so that in this story, we see him running to the feet of Jesus and bowing down and saying, hey, what must I do? Yet with all these things, he had a very superficial view of spiritual things. He had all the material wealth in the world, a superficial view of the spiritual. He had a shallow view of salvation, for he thought that he could do something. To earn eternal life. Which is in direct contrast to the children that we mentioned. That's why I said context is key. Mark does this very intentionally to show the difference. To show how the children understand. But so often we as adults complicate it. Simple faith. Just believe. He thought he could do something. He thought that he could you know, follow XYZ laws, and maybe one day that would get him enough good to get to heaven. But see, the, the kingdom of God is not some type of cosmic scale. Well, if, you're, if your good outweighs your bad, then you made it. 
right? It's not something like that. It's not something like a checklist. Well, I didn't lie today. I didn't steal anything today. I didn't commit adultery today. Therefore, I must be getting into heaven. No, that's not, that's not it either. But see, he wasn't the only one who thought that. He wasn't the only one who thought that I had to do something to get my way to heaven. See, in the Old Testament, there's about 600 and some odd commands that say, you got to do this. You can't do that. You got to do this. You can only take X amount of steps on this day. You can't work on this day. You can do this, but you can't do that. And they thought that if you followed these things, if you followed these rules, these laws, these regula- reg- re- ooh, regulations, there it is, if you followed all these things, that you could earn your way to heaven. You could earn your social standing with God. But see, it doesn't work like that because Jesus is salvation. That's not just like a catchy phrase. Like his actual name, the word, the name Jesus literally in Greek means salvation. The name of Jesus is salvation. And see, that's the cool thing about the Christian religion is that it's so different than every other religion. In the Christian religion, it's all about God coming down and meeting us. But every other religion says, hey, you can, you got to work your way up. It's like God's at the top of the mountain, and you got to somehow work your way up. But the Christian story says, hey, you can't work your way up. You can't do enough good. You can't follow enough rules to get there. And because you can't do that, guess what? I'm coming to you. That's what's so cool about Christianity. See, Jesus is salvation. In fact, in Jesus, or in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, as good as this man looked, as good as this rich young ruler looked, as good as he looked to the outside, he was still missing it. And so he comes to Jesus and asks, Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So in this passage, I think we see three actions of Jesus that show who he really is, that not only apply to this story of the rich young ruler, but also, I think, apply to us. And so the first one is this. Jesus asked. He asked. In response to this man's question, right, the man runs up to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, typically, when you're asked a question, what do you do? You answer, right? You give a statement. Hey, If you want to get to this place, you've got to take these turns to get there. But Jesus, instead of saying, hey, this is what you've got to do, he asked a question. He asked a question, why do you call me good? See, to us, this seems a little odd. Like, what what does Jesus mean when he says, why do you call me good? Of course Jesus is good. But again, this is what I say, context is key. See, to the Jewish people, that word good was only reserved for God. Only God could be good. The other Jewish rabbis at that time, they didn't even allow that word good to be applied to them. There was no good teacher because that word good only means and only can be applied to God. That's why Jesus' next statement is so powerful. He's confirming this belief that no one is good except God alone. So Jesus is confirming what they've believed for years, that only God can be good. So why are you calling me good? Do you actually believe that I am God? Now, was Jesus denying this belief? No. So why did, why did, why did this man call Jesus good? Did he actually believe that Jesus was good or that he was God? Some would say that he was trying to impress Jesus, right? Hey, 
You've been saying that you're this Messiah, and I'm going to agree with you. Mainly because I'm trying to get something out of you, so I'm going to, hear, I'm going to give you what you want to hear. Or perhaps he really did believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So in this question, when Jesus responded, why do you call me good? He wasn't denying that he was God. But he was rather affirming, he was rather affirming that he in fact was God. And he just wanted to be sure. Jesus wanted to make sure that this, this follower, this rich young ruler, really knew what he was saying. Really knew what he was getting in himself into. Because if Jesus is good... If Jesus is good, if he is in fact God, and he is the good teacher, meaning he is in fact God, whatever he says, I have to do, because he's God. So he's confronting this man's belief. If you really believe that I am in fact God, what I'm about to tell you, you have to do. You have to do. Then Jesus did something a little more odd. We see Jesus doing a lot of odd things in the Gospels. He questioned the man, right? He listed off some of these commandments that, was supposed, that he was supposed to follow. You know, he says, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. This man responded, You know what? Look, I've done those things, bro. I'm good. I've not sinned. I've not lied. I've not stolen. I've definitely not cheated on my wife. Never done any of those things. I'm good, bro. I got this covered. Right? Box checked. I'm good. Let's go. As good as in. And I find it very interesting that Jesus chose those specific commands. See, we just came off this study of the, the Ten Commandments. And if you'll notice, there's six commands that are mentioned there. So did Jesus just neglect the first four? I mean, maybe, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that the Bible would say that. Did Jesus think that those four were just not important? No, I think that he asked those questions and mentioned those commands to bring about a point. See, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments point to our relationship with God. Right? Do not have any other gods before me. Do not worship any idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's our relationship with God. And so these last six deal with our relationship with people. And I think that Jesus asked these questions to make this point, that you can look good on the outside and you can be right with all the people in the world and act like everything is okay. But if you're not right with God first, then all those things are worthless. Those things can't get you to heaven. Those things can't get you eternal life. Those things can't help you enter the kingdom of God. Only that relationship with the Father can. And actually, if you read and you kind of do a little bit more digging upon further evaluation of the story, we see that he had actually broken those first three commandments anyways. Right? Do not have any other gods. As you read the story, it says that he went away grieving because he had much wealth. That was his God. He worshipped this money. That was his idol. He couldn't do anything without this safety and security of this money. And then thirdly, he says, take, do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? Well, we don't explicitly know the intent behind him saying good teacher. But perhaps there was some type of sarcasm there too. Yeah, I'm going to call you good teacher because that's what you've been saying. But I don't really believe that you are in fact God. 
So we can clearly see that this man is far from keeping all of these commands. In James chapter 2, later on in the New Testament, the, the writer James says, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point, one point is guilty of breaking them all. Well, I've never killed anybody, but I've stolen this thing. Guess what? Guilty of breaking them all. And Romans says that the payment for sin is death. So the, the punishment for that little lie that you've told is the same punishment for that committing adultery or for that same uh, killing someone. It's the same punishment. See, this man, as good as he thought he was, as good as he looked to everyone else, still fell short of the mark because we cannot be saved by keeping the law. The law is a, mirror, is a mirror that shows us how dirty we are, but the mirror can't clean us. It can't wash us. Can you imagine waking up in the morning, looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing how nappy your hair is and being like, all right, I've seen it, I'm good. Like the mirror is not going to help you fix your hair. It's not going to clean it for you. It's not going to wash it for you. It shows you that you need help. That's what the law does. The mirror, the, the, the Old Testament, the Old Ten Commandments show us the fact that we do need help, but it cannot clean it, clean it for us. Only Jesus can do that. See, the law can bring the sinner to Christ, but the law cannot make the sinner like Christ. Only grace can do that. And yet Jesus still loved this man. So that's your second thing. The second action we see in this story is that Jesus loved. Verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved this man even though his understanding was incorrect. And thank God, because there is so much more that we do not understand. And in fact, he loved him too much to let him stay there in his death. And can I say to you this morning that Jesus loves you too much to let you stay where you are. To let you stay in your false understanding, in your deadness, in your sinfulness. Because one can keep all the rules... You can look good on the outside. You can go to church. You can read the Bible. You can even pray. And still miss the heart of the matter. See, this man was great at following rules, but it's not about the rules. The ruler, this rich young ruler, measured his obedience by external actions. I look obedient because I'm loving my brother. I look obedient because I'm not lying. I look obedient because I don't steal. External actions. But it's not about the external actions, but rather the internal attitudes. This man wanted salvation on his own terms, and he left disappointed. I think that can be said of all of us. We want salvation on our own terms. We want to follow Jesus when it's convenient, when it makes sense. And Jesus tells this man, you're so close. You're so close, but you lack one thing. Go sell all of your possessions. Wait, but wait a minute. I thought wealth was a good thing. I thought wealth meant that I was blessed, that God had a plan for me, that I had, you know, that he loved me and cared for me. That's why he gave me all these things. Isn't that, doesn't that mean that I'm, I'm good? It's not about the external actions. So Jesus confronted this man's faulty beliefs because he loves you too much to let you stay where you are can look good on the outside, have all the wealth in the world, but it's still the heart that matters. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what is a treasure? I'm not talking about, you know, like Treasure Planet, the awesome Disney movie. 
or anything like that. It's not like a treasure chest of gold and you've got to follow a map through the little dotted lines and X marks the spot and you're going to dig and then there's this treasure chest that's full of gold. That's not treasure. I mean, it, I guess it could be. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. See, that, that Greek word is the word thesauros, which literally means that which is stored up. It's something that is of the most value to you. This isn't like a, a treasure chest full of gold or silver or diamonds. Your treasure is what you value the most. So Jesus told this man, if you want to get rid or if you want to enter this, this kingdom of heaven, you have to get rid of that treasure. You have to get rid of this treasure here on this earth, that which is stored up. Now, not saying that God is calling you to sell all of your possessions and, and then do X, Y, Z thing. He might be calling you to do that. That might be your treasure. But what he is saying is, whatever you value more than following me, that's what I want. That relationship, that job, that promotion, that sport, whatever that thing is that you value more than God, that's keeping you from following him, that's what I want. This rich man's problem was not necessarily his wealth, but rather his failure to trust that God was the only thing that was good. And it's only God's goodness that can call you to a life of radical obedience, of following him to the point of death on the cross. So Jesus loved this man too much to let him stay where he was. And the third action we see, we see that he called this man. Jesus asked the question, why do you call me good? He loved this man. You're so close. Just get rid of this one thing and follow me. And that's the third action. He called, come, sell these things, follow me. Jesus wanted a personal relationship with this man, but there was something in the way. See, the man trusted his wealth. That was his comfort. That was his God. The more that he had, the more wealth he had, the better he felt. The more wealth he had, the safer he thought he was. The more wealth he had, the closer he thought he was to God. Because wealth means God's blessing. Or so they thought. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he used the word money there, but he, you could really insert anything. You cannot serve both God and sport. You cannot serve both God and honey. You cannot serve both God and whatever that thing is to you. Verse 22, but he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Jesus offered this man eternal life. He offered him the answer to his question. Good teacher, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? Go, sell all your possessions, then come and follow me. He gave him the answer, and yet the man rejected it. See, it's difficult to receive a gift when you're fist is clenched on the thing that you value most. How do you receive something? You simply open your hand. They hand it to you. You receive it. You can't receive something if your fist is clenched on the thing that you value most. For this man, that thing was wealth. But for so many of us, we're holding on to things that we think will bring us joy and fulfillment. See, for the rich young ruler, he thought that his wealth, power, and position would bring him joy, life, and fulfillment. 
but it was those very things that were in fact keeping him from experiencing true joy, true life, and true fulfillment. And see, that same thing is true for you and I. The thing that we hold on to for fulfillment and joy are the very things that are keeping us from experiencing the life that God is calling us into. The things that we think will provide us pleasure and joy and fulfillment are the very things that God is saying, give those things up because you're so close. You're so close to experiencing true life. All it takes is getting rid of those things and come and follow me. The rich man's wealth robbed him of God's greatest blessing. One, uh, one scholar said that money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. For the rich young ruler, Jesus put his finger on that sensitive place in that man's life and told him, hey, get rid of that thing, that wealth that you value, that you care so much about. Hey, that's actually in the way of you following me. That's actually in the way of you receiving the answer that you want. To obey Jesus was too great a risk for this man to take. So the security of his wealth actually robbed him of the kingdom of God. Bill Eliff, when he was here, he mentioned this story. And he said, it's as if Jesus like, just reached up and unzipped this man from the, his top of the head to his toes. And reached in and saw the thing that he valued most and said, this is what I want. If you'll just give this up, you can have life. And not just some life, you can have life to the fullest. True life, true joy. That's what I want. So Jesus had these three actions in this story. He asked the man, why do you call me good? He loved him. And he called him. And I believe that Jesus still does those same things today. Jesus asked us today, why do you call me good? Elsewhere, he, you know, when confronted with this question, Jesus asked his disciples one day, hey, who do people say that I am? The disciples responded, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And he's still asking that question today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you say that he's just a good teacher or that he actually is the son of God who died for your sin because he wanted relationship with you? He loved the rich young ruler. He had compassion for him. Last week, Brother John preached a fantastic message on how God so loves you. John 3, 16. And that same thing is true for us today. He loves you. How much? He sent his son to die for you. Obeying laws cannot and will not earn us salvation. Going to church, praying, even reading your Bible will not get you into heaven. Only belief in Jesus' sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection can give you life. Again, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus loves you. He loved this man so much that he's calling him out of where he was, this comfortable place. For some of us, I believe that Jesus is calling you out of where you are, calling you out of your comfort, out of your security, because he's saying, Follow me. Give up that one thing. And follow me. God loves you, but more than that, he desires, he longs for and wants a relationship with you. He didn't just send Jesus because he had to. I think oftentimes we think of the story of Jesus dying on the cross, and we're like, well, because of our sin, Jesus had to do that. But if you read the story of the Bible, you see that that was the plan from the very beginning. 
He knew that we would sin. He knew that we would fall. Therefore, He made a way because He wants relationship with you. And He's calling your name today. And lastly, Jesus called this young ruler. He called him to follow him. And that's the same call he has for you and I this morning. He's calling you and I to follow him. But before we can do that, we have to surrender our desires. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. You cannot serve two masters. You can't surrender to God and still hold on to the things of the world. So this morning, would you answer that question? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just some random guy that we've talked about and we're here to hear about on Sunday mornings? Or is he actually the savior of the world who loved you so much to die for you? So now, what is your response? Will you be like this man who says, yeah, that's good and all. I believe that you, you're the son of God. I believe that. But what you require is just too much. The cost of following you is just too much. And you walk away. And you leave church this morning worse than when you came in. Like this man left Jesus worse than when he came. Or, we can follow. We can lay down those things that we're holding on to. Those things that we think will give us joy and fulfillment in life. But in reality, they're the very things that are keeping us from experiencing what God wants for us. So this morning, what is your response? I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. And we're going to have a time of invitation for you to make whatever steps you need to make. If there's some things in your life that you're holding on to this morning and God is calling you, hey, you're so close. I just want that one thing. You're so close. Just give it up. Surrender to me. Come and follow me. Would you pray with me right now? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word that you have given us this morning about the rich young ruler. And Lord, I know it's a story we've heard time and time again. But Lord, it's a story of so much significance because it shows how much you love us. Lord, you love this man too much to let him stay in his faulty beliefs, to let him stay where he was in his idea that maybe he could do something to get eternal life. But Lord, your word says it's not about what we do because we can never do enough. But rather it's about what you did in sending your son to die on the cross for us. And now you're calling us, Lord, to follow you, to lay down those things in our life, things that we think are gonna fulfill us. And you're saying, that's, that's the thing that's keeping you from following me. So Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning that has something they're holding on to, Lord, that's keeping them from following you, keeping them from being obedient, would today be that day that they would lay that out at the altar and say, I'm choosing today to follow you because you are worth it. You are worth the cost. You are worth it, Lord. And be with us in this time of invitation, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.